Well, it is a privilege to be back here at New Hope. Thanks again for the invite and just the privilege of sharing the Word of God. And I uh, always wonder who I'm going to see here. Like I see my, uh, some of my neighbors here from my street. I see Don Miller. He was my bus driver when I was a little kid. It uh, brings back lots of bad memories maybe. I don't know. You tell me. You can talk to him afterwards tonight, but uh, I go way back with him probably more than anyone else here in this room. So I'm very thankful for what God's doing here. And every time I come back, I feel like there's just... Uh, maybe more people, which is encouraging to me. I know this is an area that needs Jesus, right? And also think about the fact that uh, there's just a lot of life here, and I love that. And so thankful for Robbie, his leadership, and your pastoral staff. So thank you guys for having me back. What a privilege. Well, things are happening at Word of Life. Matter of fact, this has been a, a historic week for Word of Life. We actually added three more Bible Institute campuses to our accredited uh, team this week. In, in uh, Brazil, so all three of our campuses just joined. They're part of our accredited group of Bible Institutes now. We're in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. We're in Belém, which is really a jungle area up north, and also in Recife, so kind of fun to see that happen. And also started ministry in a restricted access country this week as well. I won't name it, but one of the largest countries in the world. And I just had, I think it was 82 leaders come together, uh, young church leadership come together to be trained and to just to hear about Word of Life and how things will fit, perhaps for the future. Also just opened up in Rwanda back a few months ago in Africa and had our first camp several weeks ago. So, man, things are happening. We're just, just so excited to see what God is doing. And I want to mention, too, I know you all kind of know Word of Life. You come up there, but just want to mention, uh, you already heard about the Bible Institute. We love to have students come from New Hope and uh, spend at least a year with us, get into the Word of God. And uh, kind of got crazy for a year. Matter of fact, uh, I'm kind of glad to be here right now. Last weekend, I was, I was actually speaking at snow camp. And uh, with about, uh, there must have been about 900 between students and, and uh, guests and all that, screaming, yelling, singing at the top of their lungs. It was great. But what a joy to see 60 come to Christ just last weekend. And we praise God for that. Amen. And I heard, just got an update from last night. I got that this morning. We had 23 more come to Christ just last night. And uh, what an amazing thing. You can praise God for that. So want to mention that uh, we do need some help this coming summer with our, our camp crew. Maybe you've been involved. Maybe you're an alumnus of the Bible Institute or been around the barn a few times with us. We need some help with counseling and all sorts of specialty areas. Specialty areas. You can see Dan and, and Laura in the back over here as you leave. And also our brand new, I think it's hot off the press, Bible Institute, uh, kind of an abbreviated little booklet here. It gives you all the information about our campuses and such and uh, neat things. Also see, have you ever heard of Jared Emerson before, by the way? I see his picture here. He's one of our grads. And he does stuff for uh, Disney and for the NFL, and he's very famous for doing these big paintings uh, to music. And uh, we actually have him coming for our Founders Conference uh, this coming up in April. And I won't tell you what it's going to be. He'll be doing something very special that he's never done before. But uh, one of our grads and very famous artists coming, as well, as well as J.D. Greer, who I know is a Southern Baptist pastor, one of our grads as well. And then H.B. Charles is coming too. So you may want to think about coming up at least for a meeting or two for that. It's open to the public. You can check our website out. We've got some fantastic things coming. So check it out in the back there, and I'll be glad to talk to you afterwards as well. Well, those who are at Word of Life, I see some of our students here. I just had you in class, some of you, just a few weeks ago. I apologize for this, but uh, they're getting tired of me by now. I was in chapel this past week, but I I did want to refresh a message because I'm doing a series right now on fear, and we live in a world right now that is just struggling with, with anxiety and being afraid. And so I wanted to share one of the messages I've used. I have a whole series of messages I've been developing or have, have shared in recent months. 
And uh, you can see the theme behind me here. I don't know if it's on the screen yet, but in your notes there, you should have some notes that uh, Sharon Headley sent along down here to you can kind of fill in the gaps along the way. But I call this message, Fear God, Not Man. So let me ask you, as you look to the future, what, in fact, is your greatest fear? I don't know what comes to your mind, but maybe you fear change, and we all experience different things in our lives that tend to change from time to time, the unknown. Uh, Maybe think about uh, financial pressure, maybe you fear that, the uncertainty of your job situation. Uh, Maybe you fear a missile from North Korea. Uh, I don't think it can make it this far to New York, I don't know, but, uh, but anyway, maybe you have all these thoughts in your mind from time to time, we get a little bit anxious. And fear is not a bad thing, is it? Not always a bad thing. Fear can actually prompt us to do the right thing, to obey God. It can even protect us from danger. But there is one kind of fear, if you really think about it, that I believe can really trip us up as believers and can really ruin our lives. So what is this fear? Well, you see it on the screen there behind me. It comes from Proverbs 29 and verse 25. You want to turn there tonight. It will also be in the screen if you'd like. But Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25. And this is one of those verses where when I was working on this some months ago and, and I've shared a couple times since, that really kind of hits me between the eyes uh, because it identifies, I think, a problem that none of us are exempt from. Proverbs 29 and verse 25. You ready? Here's what it says. It says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. I know we just prayed. Let me just pray again as we open the word. Lord, we thank you so much that we can look to you right now as the author of, uh, of this, this book, these words, and I pray that we'll really understand that what you want to do, you want to speak to us. It's amazing how the Word of God just so often just hits right at the sensitive spots of our lives and, and works us over. So I pray tonight that each one of us, including myself, will be open to what you're speaking to us and be willing to make some changes. In Jesus' precious name, amen. And by the way, I didn't know whether to speak on Lent tonight or heaven or you got all, all these different things going on, but uh, tonight kind of a, a switch of gears, so Robbie and I talked about that. But I want to talk to you about this verse, Proverbs 29, verse 25. As we just read, the fear of man, it is a snare. Okay, let, let's admit it here. The fear of man has this, I think, this strange, almost magnetic pull in our hearts and our lives, right? You know, we certainly want to please God. We want to obey him. But the fear of man, in an interesting way, and sometimes a very sad way, it kind of pops its, up its ugly head, almost like one of those, uh, what do you call it, the whack-a-gopher games at an arcade or a fair or something. You ever seen those before? You kind of knock them down. It just keeps popping up. And so what exactly is the fear of man anyway? Well, at its very core, it's basically being consumed with and controlled by what others think of you. Now stop there for a minute. To be very clear... Um, as I think about, I was thinking about this this afternoon. I care about what people think about me, and I want to be sensitive. And uh, I think that's really part of living in community, right? And so there is, there, we do need to be, we do need to care. Matter of fact, we know from the New Testament there are actually fifty nine one another verses in the New Testament, including "Be at peace with one another," right? Mark chapter nine, verse fifty. Submit to one another, Ephesians five. Uh, edify or, or build up one another, First Thessalonians five eleven. Then you have to add to the equation here another verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 22 and verse 1. It says, a good name 
is to be chosen rather than great riches. So we'll see, there it is. A good reputation is certainly a worthy thing to aspire to, of course. It is biblical. We just read that verse right there. But in a very subtle way, at least I know in my own life, the fear of man can quickly become a trap that can literally swallow you up. This is precisely why why Solomon describes the fear of man as a snare. What's he talking about? It's really basically... A trap. I see Jim Harvey out here somewhere. I know you do a lot of trapping. And if you think back to the days when these words were written, a snare was basically this small trap that was used typically with a noose. And it was made of hair or wire or string or something like that. And it was really intended to capture small animals like birds and, and uh, squirrels or whatever they had at that time around that area. But basically that was the idea. It was usually put into an unsuspecting location, perhaps camouflaged by leaves and branches, and uh, there would be some grain or some food scattered around, and, you know, the animal would kind of come up and, you know, start to peck away at whatever is there, eat whatever's there, and boom, you know, it's, it's caught. It's, it's caught in that snare, captured. It's kind of the way the fear of man works for us, right? All looks good on the surface, right? But watch out. The fear of man is a terrible trap. In fact, we need to really call it what it is. We'll talk about this. The fear of man is really sin. I mean, let's be up front here tonight. It is sin. Alan Sapp writes this. I love this. He says, ultimately, the fear of man puts people in a place of God in our lives. And as such, is really a form of idolatry. Now, think about this for a minute. What drives us then to fear man? What moves us in this direction? Of course, our sin nature, right? Well, let's, let's make it very personal. What drives us to fear each other? So let's not kind of think about man as this, you know, somebody out here or the man on the moon or something. We're talking about each other, all right? We're living in community. We think about where we live here in this area in Glens Falls and around. Well, I thought of three things, and you probably can think of these yourselves. There's nothing radical about these thoughts. But number one, I thought of the potential for embarrassment. You ever face that? I have a dear friend, been a friend for many years, and he has this he gets these crazy ideas, particularly at, when someone's getting married. And for years, you may recall, couples would actually they'd have a, like an altar. They still do this in some weddings, but they would come up and kneel at the altar. And my friend, without the groom knowing it, he would paint two words on the guy's shoes. And so they would get to the altar, a very serious moment, you know, the music's playing, or they're, they're talking to each other, whatever it is, and he, you see the bottom of the shoes, and it would actually say, uh, help me. And the whole... The whole audience would bust up laughing, you know? It's so embarrassing, particularly when he finds out what's really happened. He's like, what's going on? You know, what's happened? He has no idea. The groom is just totally made to look foolish. And I've got my friend to stop doing that, by the way. But no one likes to be made to look foolish, right? We don't like to be embarrassed. And it's this potential of embarrassment that really prompts us then to put up, in a sense, walls and boundaries, And as a result, we shy away from trying new things, maybe from building new relationships, from using our spiritual gifts, and yes, even sharing about what Jesus means to us on a personal level. The potential for embarrassment. How about this next one? The quest for approval and likes. The quest for approval and likes. Now, let's be really transparent tonight. There's probably not a single person here tonight that doesn't want to be liked, right? I mean, we all kind of enjoy the the tension that comes with that. And that's really the part of the, the major appeal of Facebook, right? 
Uh, how many friends do you have? And you look to see how many times have people clicked that like button, not the negative button, but the, the, you know, the thumbs up button there. On, I'm not on Facebook, by the way, but I, I look at my wife's. So if you're looking me up later, I'm not there. But uh, it's interesting. I came across there's a world record for someone that has the most pending Facebook friend requests not accepted. And someone named Manish, I don't know who it is, but 4,987 pending Facebook requests that have not been accepted. Talk about rejection. <laughs> so I thought about, the, about this. You ever receive one of those notes? Uh, if you think back to, see Mr. Miller here, took me to school when I was pretty young. And uh, I remember getting on a couple of occasions one of those uh, secret admirer notes. And uh, you ever got one of those? And... Uh, if you're an adult, hopefully from your spouse. But here's, here's a typical secret admirer note, all right? It's basically, I like you, do you like me? And then there's some checkboxes. I've actually, remember, I got one sort of like this. And uh, man, when you get this kind of note, or you get a note like this, you just, it's like this warm rush. You're like, this is incredible. Someone really loves me and likes me and, and has interest in me. Watch out. Be careful. Should mention too, like a snare, the fear of man also can be tucked away under the brush and leaves of trying to impress people, right? This involves the desire to please people, to be the center of attention, to somehow achieve admiration and appreciation. Which is why I think it's important to mention that the fear of man is, is not so much being afraid of others, it's really not the idea, it's instead a life that is focused on others and really what they think about you. It's putting a higher premium on what people think about you instead of what God actually thinks and knows about you. And for a person in this mode, every day is, this is hard to say, but every day becomes a bit of a performance. It becomes a show, right? We live very superficial lives. You know what I'm talking about. So the potential for embarrassment, the quest for approval and likes, here's another one, the risk of rejection the risk of rejection. Now, there is nothing quite like being rejected. You probably all know what I'm talking about. There's been a point in your life where you have felt like, wow, this person doesn't want me around, and you know what rejection feels like. So I thought about this again this afternoon. I thought about being in elementary school and, and even a little bit older than that. As you can see, I'm vertically challenged, as they call it, just politely saying, and I'm, I'm shorter than, than most. And so, Growing up, I remember in elementary school, we, I loved to play sports like soccer and baseball and things like that. I actually excelled at some of those sports, even in college. But it was kind of interesting. When I was little, we'd have these teams. You know, I'd play pickup teams and such at school, and, and you'd get your 10, 15 people out there, and you'd pick two captains. You're all excited. There's a lot of anticipation. And almost every time when I was little, I was the very last person chosen. And sometimes what really ticked me off, I mean, let's be really honest here, what really frustrated me as a young man was when they would start picking people. Here I am on the side. I'm the only one left. And say, hey, when Johnny comes, he's on my team. I'm like, hey, I'm here. What do you mean? Pick me. That happens. And we struggle. The risk of rejection. And with the risk of rejection comes pressure and tension. And it's this type of pressure that can cause you to do things that you know are not pleasing to God. The Bible is full of all sorts of examples, right? I was thinking again this afternoon about Moses when he was with God on Mount Sinai, right? 
And Aaron, what he did is he listened to the people, and he actually made this crazy calf of, of, uh, of gold, Exodus 32. What about King Saul? He lost his kingdom. Really, why? Because he feared the people, and he spared King Agag. What about Herod? He feared the people, his wife and his friends. So what did he do? He actually had John the Baptist killed and his head put on a platter of all the crazy things. So sad, so sick. He feared the people. Pilate feared the people. You know what happened there, particularly his relationship with Caesar. John chapter 19. What about Peter denying Jesus Christ three times when questioned about his connection to Jesus? Remember what happened in the court road, the, 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 the courtyard? So the risk of rejection certainly can come into play, right? As you think about your own life, family relationships with neighbors, maybe in your school type situation with an employer. And this tension then can push you into a position of compromise. And as we talked about doing things that you know are not pure and not pleasing to our God. And by the way, I think it's really this fear of rejection that gets in the way of us sharing our faith, right? You know, what if they say something bad to me. You know, what if they push me away and and never want to talk to me again? We have all these thoughts. What if they say something unkind or walk away angry? Well, they might. They might. So in a very personal way, we each can relate to this warning that Solomon gives, right? Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man, what it does is it brings a snare. It is a trap. And whether we're pulled in by the potential of embarrassment, the quest for approval, the risk of rejection, the fear of man, centering your life on what other people think, it is a deadly trap. And it can ruin your life. And so here's the loaded question. So what in the world can we do? I mean, where do we go from here? Anytime you read the Word of God, I say this many times, you have to ask that so what question. Or I just read this verse, Proverbs 29, 25. What do I do about this? How do I begin to chart a new course and move in the right direction and not fall into this trap, this snare that Solomon's talking about? How do I break free? I'm going to read the verse again. The fear of man brings a snare, but listen to the second half. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Trust in the Lord, it is safe. The fear of man, it's a snare. The trusting in the Lord, it is safe. How about you? But I want to be safe. We live in a country right now, as you know from the news, Parkland, Florida. I know your pastor talked about that just last week. We've all seen what's happening. We live in a world that just doesn't feel very safe. And I want to be in a place that's 100% safe. So what do we do? Well, Solomon tells us the only, there's really only one place that you can go that is completely safe, and that is to the Lord. We know that to be true, Right? There are very clear contrasts in this verse. The opposite of fearing man is, is trusting God, right? The opposite of a snare is safety. Sounds simple, right? I need to stop fearing man. I need to start trusting God. I don't want to be trapped. I don't want to be caught in that trap and that snare. I want to be safe. Do you know where it starts? You have some very practical thoughts, things I wrote down really for myself. Number one. You need to, call, need to call your fear of man what it really is. That's where, really where it starts. Call it what it is. One of my dear friends, uh, we're on a, a board together. His name is Mark Rogroup. I heard him uh, listening to one of his messages recently. He said this, The fear of man is basically a worship issue. When you fear something, you're in awe of it. You're reverencing it. You're holding it in high regard, he says. He says, fear gives the object power. 
And sometimes fear expressed is appropriate, sometimes it is not. And he gave an amazing illustration. I want to just put it in my own context. I'll ask you a question. How many here tonight are actually afraid of spiders? Anyone out there tonight? All right, there's many of you there. Well, the truth is, if you really start to think about a spider, spiders really don't have a lot of strength and power, right? Except when they show up in the wrong place, like in your bed, uh, on your arm, place like that. And so all of a sudden, this little tiny spider, usually, I guess in the Adirondacks, we have wolf spiders, things like that too, right? But you see this spider, and we, all, we give really more credit than it really deserves. And there have been many times I've had to rescue my daughters and my wife from a spider. Men, you know what I'm talking about, right? I want you to think about this because when we get into the mode of fearing man, what we're really doing is we're really giving power and strength and authority over us to something, to someone that we really shouldn't be giving them. As I said before, the fear of man is really idolatry. When we subscribe to this, we need to call it what it is. You call it what God calls, confess it to God as sin. It is sin. The second thing I wrote down, we need to ask God to reveal when we fall into the mode of fearing man. You know, one of the things I, I've learned in my own life is I, I think I'm doing well, and then I realize that, you know, even, let's, let's be really transparent. You ask when I'm speaking in a church, man, I hope they're going to like my sermon. Was well, that really the issue? No. I'm not here to entertain. I'm here to share the Word of God. We tend to turn it around on us. I hope everybody likes what is said. And we, we, we tend to think, I hope people like my hair. I just got a hair. I actually did get a haircut today, by the way. <laughs> I hope they like my haircut. We, start, we, we, we focus it on us. And we need to realize that we're so prone to this, to falling into this trap. And I have to many days, and I did this again today, Lord, would you help me? Would you guard my mouth today? Would you make me sensitive to people? And would you help me to recognize when I'm beginning to go down this path, stop me before I get into that trap. Help me to avoid the things that pull me in that direction. And the Holy Spirit of God has an amazing way, if we ask him to do so, to convict us. As even if we look at the Word of God, it's amazing how he uses the Word of God to convict us and to change us. So I encourage you to th- consider adding that to your prayer list. God, would you help me? to change in this area, to not fall into this trap of fearing man. I need to fear God instead. I wrote down as well here, commit to put your full trust in the Lord instead of in man. Easier said than done, right? I mean, it sounds kind of trite. Like, well, it sounds simple. Just trust God, you know? Just, it's just simple. No, it's not. And you know what it really comes down to? Really three things. And I wrote these down just more for myself once again, but Number one, it's really, Don, it really comes down to how you view God and how you view people. And Ed Welch wrote a book on the fear of man with an amazingly appropriate title. He said, when people are big and God is small. That's pretty, just the title alone is pretty convicting. And so if you view people as big, you're revealing that your view of God is actually probably pretty small. And no question, people are great. People can be awesome. We love our families, love our friends, love our church. People are great, but I want to tell you, our holy God is greater. No one compares to him. And we cannot ever allow our view of people around us to be bigger than God. God is great, and we are not. He is the only one in whom you can fully, completely trust. The only one you can really put your full weight upon. He is the safe place, right? 
Number two, it comes down to really what you value most. And this gets very convicting. Do you value God's approval or man's approval most? God's approval or man's approval most? This can be a hard one. And it really requires a long view, doesn't it? And it's vital to remember, and I have to continually remind myself of this, that someday, Don, you are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. In fact, some years ago, I had the privilege of going over to Corinth, and I actually stood in the exact place where the Apostle Paul stood at the Bema seat, and I was challenged by the person who was leading our tour, just stand there alone and just imagine that you're standing before Christ. No more excuses. No one else to lean on. No one to blame. There I am before Christ, all alone. He's examining my life and reviewing the things and my motives, the things that I've done or not done. And recognizing that man's approval and applause at that moment will mean absolutely nothing, right? All that will matter is what God says and what he thinks. And so, as we think about what we're going to listen to and and, uh, what we're going to value most, our whole lives should be focused on gaining God's approval, pleasing him, right? Pleasing him. Not man, but pleasing him. That's a wonderful thing when those two intersect together, when we're pleasing God and some people around us are happy, right? But the ultimate goal is to please God. His approval is what we seek. That's why the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 9, he says, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. That's the focus. It also comes down to whose voice or what voice you're going to listen to. God's word or man's word. You know, my role at Word of Life, as you can imagine, we have about 1,850 staff now. We have people that support the ministry and pray for the ministry. We have youth leaders that get involved. And I can't tell you, being at snow camp this past weekend, I heard so many voices. Everyone has ideas and suggestions, and, and they, they think they know the way that we should go as a ministry. And I have to continually sort out, God, what do you want me to do? Whose voice am I really going to listen to? There is value in listening to people, of course, and getting input. But at the end of the day, we need to listen to the one voice that really counts, and that is God's voice. We find what God says very clearly in, in his word, right? That's what he uses. So I thought about this this afternoon. I thought about my dad, and many of you knew my father. And my dad was a kind of a bigger-than-life personality. He, was a, a really, he died a number of years ago very unexpectedly. He was actually in a pastorate. But one of the things that I knew very young is I began to— my dad had a very unique kind of a radio voice. Actually, he did radio, and kind of a booming voice. And so I could literally be on the edge as a little kid of a crowd of 500 people with my dad in the middle— and I could literally hear his voice above everyone else. I was able, as a kid, to tune in to exactly where he was and what he was saying. There could have been 499 other people. I would pick his voice out. And that's the way we need to be with God. There's a lot of voices, a lot of things being said. But at the end of the day, we're tuning in to our Heavenly Father's voice. What he says is most important to us. The fear of man brings a snare. Whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The truth is is that all of us, I don't know your story, your background, I I know that all of us are in the same place. We all struggle at times with the fear of man in our lives. And the big question comes in, so where are you going to run when this happens? Where are you going to go when this 
temptation comes in, and there's this snare, and you're about ready to get trapped. Where do you go? So I thought about this. I thought about uh, last summer. I'm coming off of an ACL injury, and so I'm back into walking and some running again. And so there's this certain road that I, actually several roads I walk on up in Scroon Lake. There's one particular neighborhood that I walk through from time to time. Gets me every time there's this big dog that as I'm walking just comes racing around the corner and comes at me 100 miles an hour and all of a sudden just comes to a dead stop right where I am. And I remember the first time it happened, I'm like, how did this happen? Well, there's an electric fence, praise God. Um, so anyway, so I was thinking about that. I thought, you know, one of these days, as so often happens in Scroon Lake, the power's going to be out, just knowing my luck. And so I hear this crazy dog is coming. He's going to come at breakneck speed and I'm going to be a dead man. And so I've had to think through, all right, if this ever happens, and I try not to get anxious and worried, but if this ever happens, where am I going to go? I'm going to, you know, break into one of my neighbor's homes. I'm going to climb that tree over there. The lake is actually down. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in the lake. Hopefully the dog can't swim. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I've, I've got a plan. And that's really the idea. When this happens, what is your plan? Or you need to have a strategy. It's not just going to come together last minute. You've got to think about, what am I going to do? I don't want to get into this trap. Where am I going to go? It's going to happen. We all say things like, man, did I, did I say the right thing? Or, are people really going to like what I said? Do they like how I look? Do people think I'm an idiot? Uh, do people admire me? Do people think that I'm spiritually okay? Do people see what I'm really accomplishing, what I'm contributing to this body? We have all those thoughts. And so we know that the fear of man is like a snare. It, it chases after us. So where are we going to go? There's only one place, and that's to God and His Word. That is the safest place, and really the only place for us to go. So I leave you tonight with one verse that's really meant a lot to me that I think dovetails nicely. It's Proverbs 14.10. It says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are safe. Man, I want to be safe. I want to be caught in that trap. And the one place we can go is to the Lord. Let me pray for you. Lord, I, as I think about these thoughts tonight, it's very convicting, I know, for each one of us. Because we all struggle at different times in our lives with pleasing people more than we want to please you. Lord, so I know the first step toward victory is we need to recognize what that really is. It is wrong. It is sin. This Lord, please help us to begin to change our perspective, to view you as, as awesome, as big, and people as small. And Lord, help us as well to really understand that what we're really after is we're really after your approval. Because someday we're going to stand before you. We're going to give an account. As I said, man's applause and praise will mean absolutely nothing at that point. So, Lord, help us to stay focused. May it be our ambition to please God and to please you alone. Lord, as I mentioned, there's also a lot of voices in our world today, so many things we can listen to. Lord, help us to listen to the one thing that really matters, and that is your voice. Lord, I want to thank you again that in a world in which there's a lot of fears, a lot of anxiety, that there is a place that we can go, even when we struggle with this fear of man. And that is to you. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it 
and are safe. I thank you for the truth of these words tonight, for your word, how it resonates in our hearts and convicts us. And Lord, help us to change, to be willing to make adjustments, even tonight, in how we're living our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.